Welcome to the Conversations with Commerce Next podcast. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Commerce Next and presented by Comex. In a revealing interview that will be a must-listen to for any retailer working at or building a direct-to-consumer brand, Brooke Linden founder and CEO Rich Fuller joins us on the podcast to share the inspiring story of building a successful brand literally in the bedroom. Rich shares with my co-host Veronica Sansev how the Laser Lake focus on building success to last had Rich originally bootstrapping the business from his savings, forcing the company to be profitable from day one. He then takes us through the decisions and journey behind the multiple rounds of private equity funding to change the trajectory of the business. Lastly, Rich shares his personal experience as an entrepreneur, lessons learned. You have to be comfortable without structure is the most important thing, I think. And that's something that I, I'm very, very transparent um, with every candidate that I interview because I want to make sure that they have the, the DNA to succeed here. Let's listen in now. So Rich, welcome to Conversations with Commerce Next. Your keynote at last year's Commerce Next Summit was a huge hit, and we're thrilled to have you join the podcast to give our community an update on the Brooklyn and business. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. Um, well, I'm joined here by the producer and co-host of Conversations with Commerce Next, Michael LeBlanc. Hi, Rich. Nice to meet you. Where are we finding you today? We're in Brooklyn, New York. So, Rich, I'll, I'll get right into it. You started Brooklinen with your wife, Vicki, when you were in business school. Give us a brief summary of the founding story and why you thought there was an opportunity for a company like Brooklinen to exist. Sure. Um, I'll try and be brief because I could take all day also if, if I was given it on this question. Um, in short, um, my wife and I were, were very much like our first customers and we were frustrated with what we found out there that both met our aesthetic and our budget at the time. Um, I was a student um, and she worked for a public relations agency at that time. So uh, we aspired to have and we really liked, you know, everyone knows that feeling of like, wow, that was, that was a really comfortable bed and that was really, really comfy sheets. Um, when you've experienced it, you kind of know it. And when they're terrible, people wake up and are like, that pillow is terrible, right? It's something that kind of pops up after experiences. We wanted the good stuff. We just couldn't afford it. And then from a branding perspective, there was nothing that really spoke to us that we were, you know, in our mid-20s, we were um, – we were predisposed to buy online a lot, and there was no other brand that was doing direct-to-consumer in the category saying, here's the best product from the best supplier with a brand that resonates with you and will deliver to you tomorrow. It was more of just like, when you need it, go to the store and look around and find the best option, take it to the register. It was like a very similar, for lack of a better example, uh, experience to buying toilet paper. In that sense, you would go there and whatever's on the shelf, you would go because you got to take it away. You need new sheets where we thought we could inspire people and say, how often do you change them? Do you have heavier sheets in the winter, lighter sheets in the summer? Does it match your decor? Do you personalize it by mixing and matching? So there's a lot of like functions and components of the business that were very differentiated at the time when we started the business. Awesome. And I listened to your How I Built This podcast, and I, I thought it was really great when you talked about even just educating consumers on how to buy sheets. Because like many consumers, I bought based on Threadcount. And then I think, you know, this category of D2C betting companies really kind of helped educate consumers on how to look at the whole market. 
Yeah, we take a you know more numeric and scientific approach to it. I, I I don't think every single player does like the best job of explaining it to the customer. You know, beyond showing, you have to show beautiful pictures and you know have the supply chain everything. But the customer really likes to consider the purchase and be educated on the products and something that we found quite early. So, you know, our what most people do and did is they think high quality. Higher thread count equals higher quality, which means I'll like it better, which means I'll sleep better, et cetera, which is, not, which is actually not the case at all because most people get hot at night and like to sleep. They love the, a lightweight sheet that's cool to the touch and cool sensation, not suffocating them, but they also want the good stuff. So they, when they get high thread count sheets, if it's not the right cotton, it actually becomes suffocating and less breathable on that. So like shooting themselves in the foot in that sense in terms of what the product was. So like we'd like to explain that to people that – our classic sheets, which was our first line that we launched, it really hit the notes that we were looking for. It's actually a lower head thread count sheet. So it's super lightweight and breathable with a very high quality cotton. So it feels great, but it's very, very breathable. And we want to explain that to you so you feel informed about the purchase. And if it's not for you, you like something that's a little heftier and so on, great. But at least you know what we're made of is, is really our perspective. And now you've really expanded, well, you've expanded into a number of different uh, materials and kind of types of sheets, but also into a whole range of products, um, towels, home goods. Talk about the breadth of your offering today. Yeah, it happened really organically over the years. It, it wasn't the plan. Um, the plan was quite basic. Um, when Vicky and I started the business, it was, let's just make sheets in two colors, you know, white and gray, and one fabric, and it's really idiot-proof because I kept you know, complaining personally that I didn't know how to shop for the product. I didn't know what was good, what was bad. Where do I go? And I wanted to make like the option that was for people like me that was like, just buy this. You know, and I think there's a, there's a Reddit um, thread that is, you know, shut up, take, shut up and take my money is what it is. And it's kind of like, this is great. I'll, I'll, I'll pay for it. So that's really what we wanted to propose to the customer in that, in that time in terms of having our, our value proposition. And then people love the product. They wanted more colors and then they wanted something that was, you know, do you guys make linen? Do you guys make pillows? You don't make pillows. Who has the best pillows? And then we ended up, pointing people in, in other directions, which was just foolish at the time. It was an opportunity for us to leverage the brand that we've built and the platform we've built to build more and deliver more products and keep the customer rather than send them elsewhere. Like, you know, when we think about the opportunity with our, uh, for a relationship with our customers, it's quite large. So the first question that I heard from, from investors and people were, yeah, but you sell sheets, people buy sheets once every two years. Like how can you possibly make a, like a big business out of this? And that's just wrong. I mean, if you think about your own home and you take a step back, it's like how many beds are in your house and how many sets per bed? How many pillows are on each bed? How many blankets do you have? What's in the closet? What's on the couch? How many towels do you have? How many robes do you have? And you add it all up in your house. You're like, wow, okay, there's a lot of stuff that's like in this category in my house. And that's opportunity for us to, to serve the customer on that front. So there's a lot more that meets the eye. Then, and and it, it's nice that it kind of happened organically by the customers kind of directing you to the, to the next product. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears and talk about the business. What I, what I think is so interesting about your founding story in Brooklyn was that, you know, because you weren't able to originally get funding, you bootstrapped the business from your savings, which mm -hmm. forced the company to be profitable from the very beginning. How did this approach change your go-to-market strategy? Yeah, um, it was a blessing in disguise, especially these days when we look at the uh, economic landscape at this point and what the topics of conversation are. It, are it, by necessity, we learned a lot of discipline at that time, and you know how to make how to make every dollar go as far as possible, and how to count every penny as well. And it was 
hard lessons learned on that. And it was not for a lack of trying you know, in full transparency. I, I spoke to a lot of investors and I fielded a lot of questions of like, is this a viable business? Is it a big business? Is it a serious business? You know, all these things. And I had to, I just decided to, Vicky and I should just march off, put our own money behind it, which it wasn't a lot. And I, I know that's like a loose thing. It's like, oh, we use our savings. This is not a lot of savings. It was like $20,000 <laughs> of us. Okay. Like it's not, it, it wasn't, it was towards a house, right? It's not like our house that we were trading at the time, right? So it's, um, you know, we, we did and we decided to do it ourselves. And because we had very little money into the business, we had to be very disciplined about it and make every dollar go far. So we, we did a lot of things ourselves rather than outsourcing it or hiring people. We learned fast um, and then, you know, figured out how to run the business and, and grow it. And then eventually we raised money, mostly by necessity, to fill different needs. Either it was expertise or there was resources that we need. Um, I would say the first round of money that we raised from venture capital after after bootstrapping it for four years, four or five years at that point, was for inventory. We were just growing and we couldn't get in front of the inventory to meet the demand. So we were turning customers away because, oh, we won't get that back in stock for another month or two, which was just nonsensical and, and, and when we had a good business and a good brand grow, growing. So we had to raise money to get in front of that was the first time that we did. And it really took us to the next level. And then we were off the races, you know, after that. So continuing on that thread of, of funding, and this isn't a finance podcast, but let's peel back that one a little bit uh, in terms of going to the private equity market first in yep. 2021, I think, and then in 2022. So I, what you're describing is, you know, get some more open to buy in the business and, and give yourself some financial flexibility. It Was that the core to the strategy? And does it give you any other options? And, and talk about uh, what your approach was and, and how you pointed uh, that strategy yeah so we've done three rounds of institutional fundraising and they were all for a very very different purpose uh, at times so we ran a profitable business from the get-go because we had to when we it was just in our apartment and it was just us so it was small at the time started small and slow but it was profitable and we got the wheels turning on that front the first one was we needed more capital to fund the business. So we had eventually had to hire some people and we, we had to buy more inventory to expand. That was in 2017. Uh, we grew the business quite substantially at that point. And then in 2020, we partnered with a private equity firm because of their expertise and you know, their proposition to us in terms of partnership and you know, having experience working with like-minded companies and their network. And they have a track record of taking a lot of companies public that you know, look like us and whatnot. And if it's an aspiration that we have, um, and always have to get it as big as possible. It was the right thing to do because I know what I know and I know what I don't know also. And it's like I never run a company at, at this scale or that scale. So I needed the next level of partnership and expertise. Now, our first, our Series A in 2017 for the inventory primarily, we have a great, amazing partner, um, Amish Shani there. And he's been a great partner and resource but he's not like super involved in the weeds and he doesn't want to be on that. And that's his type of leadership is he's there when I need him and he helps the business. So it's really about growing the brand and getting it to the next level. And he let us do the thing to do that. And then at the next level, it was about finding partnerships to unlock the next level to where I can be a little closer to that in terms of breaking down the doors to the next level. So Summit is huge e-commerce business, um, businesses that expand internationally as well. Uh, that was Summit Partners in, in 2020 um, and put a lot of structure in place. So we filled out our C-suite after that and you know, really, really built up the team. 
Um, and then last year, uh, we partnered with a firm, um, Freeman Spogli. They have entirely different expertise, um, also in retail, but more in brick and mortar and really growing companies in the retail channel, which is something that we're very, very focused on now. We've the, the, the mothership, so to say, of our, you know, brooklyn.com is a well-oiled machine, but we have a lot of opportunity getting in front of a new customer in retail locations, and that's their expertise, you know, have, you know, have companies that open 50, 100 stores per year, which is just insane to me, but being able to speak to the other founders in the portfolio and to their partners there, um, it's a huge, huge resource to get us to the next level. It's really interesting as you describe it, even the way you're describing it, it's less about financial flexibility, though, of course, that's the kind of the foundation, but the way you chose your partner right. to fill out gaps, whether it's leadership strategy or just business strategy, is that, did you audition private equity firms or did you seek out particular ones that you had heard had that particular expertise or is that how you kind of just went about it from a tradecraft perspective? Yeah. I mean, look, the partnership is critical because we're playing the long game here and I'm very focused on, you know, getting it to the, to the highest level of, you know, running a business. And, and right. that. But um, there is a financial component, of course, in the short term of that. And that's why, you know, people do these these deals by by and large, in addition to all, to all the expertise. So I don't want to like, yeah. you know, I don't I don't want to ignore that. But sure. there was a lot of demand. I mean, we have a good brand and a good category, as I said, with a big opportunity that's growing. So they, they approached me in both cases and had seen a lot of our competitors or category or other brands. And we're really looking for the unit economics and the margin and the team strategy that we and the roadmap that we had. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss another great episode. We'll be back with our interview with Rich Fulop from Brooklinen right after this message. After two years of unprecedented growth, some think e-commerce has hit its peak. So what comes next? As businesses look to enter the next era of e-commerce growth, Comex serves as a guide to get them there. Led by best-in-class technology providers across the commerce ecosystem, including Bloomreach, Miracle, Cinch, ShipBob, and Avalara, Comex offers exclusive research, benchmarking, data, and more, empowering businesses to deliver a commerce experience that drives measurable revenue growth. Learn more at commerceexperience.com. That's commerceexperience.com. At the end of the day, all of our partners, from our investment partners, they don't they don't necessarily they give me guidance they don't tell me you need to do this and this is what sure, we sure. say because they know you're that happen into their expertise i mean that's that's what you're describing here right not yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, and they're they know that i'm way in it and they they trust me to execute and to lead the team on that which is really really great but on the flip side they've uh you know when during those discussions you know when we were deciding whether to work with each other i told them what my ideas were and where i saw the business and here's what we're going to need and here's what we're going to do and i want to open up stores and i want to hire uh, you know this this person or that person yes. after we closed the deal they were like okay great here's the checklist you talked about now go do it <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and no seriously in 180 days they're right. like, well, we'll visit right. this list in 180 days that sounds like a great plan go yeah. do it and I, I i actually appreciated that structure and that, that kick mm. in the butt that was that was like okay great i'm gonna go get these things done i was gonna do them anyway and now i got a partner yeah. fantastic yeah. well you've, you've given us a nice segue into talking about growth and stores so you had a store i believe before the pandemic start was it six okay. stores you've opened this year and then you're on track I believe you're on track to open something like 2530 by 2024. So this is a big topic. Correct. Sure. Let's, 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 let's start peeling it back. So, you know, when we talk to retailers, uh, you know, if we were having this discussion 20 years ago, we'd be talking about productivity measures and, and, and sales per square foot measures. As you, we still are. 
You still are, right? I mean, that doesn't go away. It's and, I suppose. But talk about how stores fit in this growth strategy, what the purpose is, and, and how you see this growth with uh, physical stores. It's tricky. And I... <sighs> It's a lot like, you know, it's, it's a lot of like alchemy and it's a lot like cooking with this because it's like, you can't just take, if you have a recipe, right. And the ingredients, you can't just take all the ingredients and just dump them in and turn off the heat and walk away. Right. It's like, there's a timing and a process and it takes time. You have to add things in the right sequence. Right. And that's the way I think about it to make it taste right. Right. It's in that sense. So I think, you know, the timing is, we're, we've held off long enough and longer than most in terms of going into retail. And that was by design. We wanted to invest hard. Our core business was growing really, really quickly. And I wanted to get it as big as we could at the time before taking our attention elsewhere. Cause it's distracting and time consuming, capital consuming to build another business units, whether it's in a, in a wholesale business or a hospitality business or Amazon business. Like we have a lot of, and to stand them up is really, really tough, especially retail. When you're talking about like real estate and, staff and those things. Finding people, right? Right. Finding people on the ground in the market is really, really, it's a a tough environment for that right now as well. So it was the right time for us. I mean, we opened, it was part of the plan and we opened our first full-time store. We had a pop-up prior to that in January, 2020. So we opened in January, 2020 and we closed it in March, 2020. So so it was a short lived, but you know, it was, it was fine. I mean, like we didn't furlough anyone. We didn't fire anyone. We kept the staff on. We, you know, they helped with our customer service tickets and different operational things. And we had one store and we took care of them. We waited and then we went curbside and so on and allowed us to take stock of the market. And again, at that time, concentrate on our core business without triaging the other ones. Whereas I think there's other brands, not in our category necessarily, but like in general, you have networks of hundreds or thousands of stores that are closing. Like and then you have thousands of people that are on, you know, they're furloughed or on unemployment or whatever it is to manage. Very complex. Yeah. Very complex. So we are fortunate to have no, virtually no exposure to that at the worst time. And now we're really stepping on the gas that we're kind of coming out of it. Now when things are normalizing again, it's the opportunities right in front of us, which is, you know, a little, a little, a little lucky, you know, a little bit of, yeah, a little bit of everything that kind of contributed to that. So it's once again follow quite, kind of a quick thread. Is it uh, our stores? Would they be little distribution points for you? Oh, right, are you yeah, like, all those kind yeah. of elements? Are you are you right. you know are you going into malls or high live main streets? Like just a, I, I'm so fascinated by the decisions yeah. and choices you're going to make because they align to your brand. You're you're very thoughtful about the strategy. So just touch on that for a few minutes if you could. Yeah, sorry, I, I gave you the backstory and forgot to. to, to, to <laughs> so we have uh, we have four stores open right now. Six that are ready. I mean. Two more that are ready and opening imminently probably in the next 30 days. So we have a Manhattan store, a Brooklyn store. We have a Santa Monica store and a Philadelphia store. And we have stores construction completed. And we're essentially just like onboarding the staff and getting the permits and everything to open this terrific occupancy in San Francisco and Portland, Oregon as well. So those are the first six. And if you if you look at those six markets, they're all very different in terms of like mm-hmm. modes of transportation, density, who lives there, demographics. So the plan is we are not opening any more stores in the second half of this year, and that is by design. And we have a lot more irons in the fire. We're going to open a Chicago store that's already committed for next year as well. But we really want to learn about our store experience, and we look at those metrics. So we have a Santa Monica store that's 3,700 square feet, and we have our West Village store, which is like 1500 square feet. So to understand the productivity for our new brand between those stores. Now the rent is also tricky. You have 
West Village, Manhattan versus Santa Monica, right? So, but the size, like, it's all very experimental. We might hit the pay dirt in on Main Street or in the mall or in the center of the city. Uh, we've, we're experimenting with all of these, and we got to figure out which one works the best of all of them, and then double down on those essentially. So, all six of these look different, and it's very exciting to. I'm very curious, quite honestly, to see what comes out the other side. I love that. It's almost like you're you're using these six initial stores to be your test beds to then figure out how you should scale your whole retail strategy. It's it's a great approach. The six stores and the six markets and the thousands of people in it are like an unknowing focus group, essentially, of like effectiveness (laughs) on this. If you're enjoying this interview, you may want to join us for the Commerce Next Summit on June 21st and 22nd at the New York Hilton Midtown. Our e-commerce growth show features execs from companies like GoPuff, Ralph Lauren, American Eagle Outfitters, Kate Spade, Patagonia, HelloFresh, Neiman Marcus, Olaplex, and more. We'll be gathering our community of trailblazers and changemakers to talk about the future of digital commerce and share the latest strategies for e-commerce acceleration. The theme of the summit is seizing the next wave of growth, and we'll be covering everything from how to set up shop in the metaverse to scaling performance marketing strategies with first-party data. We hope you'll join us in June. Learn more and register at commercenext.com. Yeah, but no, it's good. And we're learning a lot about our customer. Our customer is changing over the last 10 years, you know, who it was to who it is. Like we still have the same customers, but it just encompasses a lot more people in a lot of different parts of the country where our business was so concentrated here in Brooklyn and in New York for the first few years, just because we, that's where we, we knew people and the brand, you know, we were, we were advertised and so on. So, well, and, the, yeah. and, the, and the category has changed somewhat too, right? The COVID era has meant more people had more focus on the home and they kind of delve deep into those things right back to what you're talking about. You know, let's not just buy on thread count. Let's, let's understand it a bit better. So that you, you your, your, your environment's changing at the same time that your business is, right? Which is so fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, look, the fundamental metrics, you know, people have moved out of cities into suburbs, you know, the new homes, you know, starts and everything are up by and large over the last two years. You know, those are all indicators for us. You look at the big box stores have large, largely been, you know, disappointing earnings or whatnot. And like, it's not to celebrate that or anything, of course, but it's just market dynamics is, you know, the brands that, that look and feel like ours have, have a really good opportunity. Um, Rich, I want to change gears a little bit and talk about wholesale. Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of everything we've talked about today is your is really your D2C business, whether it's online or in stores. But we've seen that, you know, many D2C brands are starting to move into wholesale as a way to reach more customers. Is that something mm-hmm. that you've tried? Do you have plans in this area? We have a few wholesale relationships, um, mostly in the wedding registry space. Um, our, again, our product makes a lot of sense in there. We have no um, traditional um, wholesale partnerships with big box stores or department stores or even like Main Street retailers. We have none right now. So um, at this point, we have such little penetration in the grand scheme of things. And the brand is so new and so small in the grand scheme of things of like, the United States, the world, all brands and retail and wallet share that I feel like there is a lot to, to still figure out on that front. Um, and I want to control as much as I can in terms of the product, the packaging, the customer experience and the feedback. I mean, you learn a lot, honestly, and the, the like unsexy stuff for the business is you learn a lot in the customer service chats and your returns data is like, you can really analyze that and see what people like, what they don't and why and ask questions. And if you lose that feedback loop, 
um, in the interest of more scale, you lose margin and you lose that feedback, which is bad. So um, I am interested in wholesale at some point in the future, but not in the near term, just because I want to keep my eyes and arms on, on those those other pieces. And that seems to be pretty consistent with, with that D2C playbook. You know, you, you own it as much as you can. You, you learn yes. about the customer. And then at some point, I mean, even Allbirds at this point is, is going into wholesale or at least announced that they were going into wholesale because that there's so much scale there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get scale, but yeah, again, <laughs> another piece. You get lots uh, of complexity. You get lots of complexity. Yeah, another piece. Yeah, it's, it's different complexity, different supply chain management, and it really changes your product margin, which you know, fundamentally changes your business and you know, the EBITDA at the bottom and what you can and can't marketing tolerances on those fronts. So it changes your business in the interest of a lot of scale. Uh, also, like once that flips around, uh, it's really, really hard to reverse the reliance on wholesale. Um, I want to go a little deeper on the um, digitally native D2C model, because I think there's been, you know, a lot of scrutiny over the last year, particularly some of the things that have recently been affected as you know many brands are not able to scale um, or continue to scale um, given the rising acquisition costs. Now you have inflationary pressure. What are your thoughts on some of these industry challenges? And I guess like how does how does Brooklyn and plan to overcome these kinds of macro factors that are impacting so many in the industry? Scale is the issue and the answer. So um, <laughs> I think we're fortunate to be in the in a certain band of brands or companies that we have kind of broken through. Um, and we have that, you know, as I like to say, like the escape velocity in, in the rocket sense on that to, to escape the atmosphere. And if you don't have that escape velocity, then it's probably hard times right now. So we were never overly reliant on Facebook, probably never more than 35% of our budget at the height. So this is damaging, of course, as part of our funnel of what's going on out there, but it's not like we're solely reliant on that at any point now. There are brands, there was a period of time where you could just plug in Facebook and Shopify and you're off to the races and you can get some scale. And I think that player that is still in that zone is probably a little bit in, in trouble at this point. But like I said, we have, we don't want to lose customers. And I said that when we expanded categories you know, earlier, that's the most important thing for us. So if, if we keep the customers we have, we have way more customers than, than others you know, in, in the space. So we don't want to lose them. So we want to keep delivering good quality products, good service. Um, you know, timely marketing messages that are interesting. Like it's important that like if there's customer acquisition challenges out there, by and large, they're not unique to anybody in any category. And I've talked, you talk to a lot of founders. I talk to a lot of founders. It's not unique to anyone. It's totally cuts across everything. It's just the economy at this point. Then the customers that you have and have already acquired are twice as important on that front. So it's our customer, it's our internal focus really on that. Our commerce research has also kind of shed light on that. We've seen a lot of brands over this last year shift towards a retention focus. It sounds like you've always had a little bit of that customer or a lot of the customer obsession. But I think now oh, yeah. more than ever, brands are doubling down on it because the more you can get from your existing customers, the more um, the better it is for the business. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's it's the most important thing because it's hard to get customers and it always has. It's hard for them to walk through your door in a brick and mortar store to discover you on Amazon, to find you on the internet and get an ad ahead of anyone else. It's hard. And it's like, once you get them on your site or in your store or somebody that's interested, 
you want to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward and you're not going to lose them by at the very least shooting yourself in the foot or just things that you can control what you can control and, and you can't control what you can't control. So we can control the customer experience and the product to the best of our ability, deliver as fast as possible, have compelling prices. And if we do that, like that's the best we could do. And we give the customer very re- little reason to go shop elsewhere is what our goal is. Let's uh, let's shift gears uh, once again. This is our second shift of gears. Not to you know, <laughs> Third gear, even okay. use the same metaphor twice, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know we often like in our podcast talk about careers, career development, and and um, you know in your case it's more about I think uh, advice for people who like to follow in that same kind of path. Right, you you're a true entrepreneur, but you're very you know you're very skilled at drawing in resources to fill whether it's knowledge gaps or, or execution gaps or finance gaps. What are your what's your advice to people who are looking to go on the same journey that, uh, that you've begun. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that I can, that I can give it. And it depends kind of at what stage are you at? I think something that's like, like the, the permanent in the journey, I should say is just to be humble and continue to learn because the landscape and the world is always changing. And what worked yesterday might not work tomorrow. So you got to be on your toes and you just got to be talking to people. So, you know, I go to, I go to a lot of conferences. I always did. And I speak at some now, but I also go and attend the sessions because if I could come, you know, tickets were, you know, I was paying when I was attending in the early days, I was paying you know, as much as I could to attend. And I want to walk out of there with like one game changing idea from the conference that I can go home and test. And if I, if I can listen closely and get one new idea that was nowhere on my radar that could move the needle for the business and try and test Beautiful. it, then it was totally worthwhile. And you just have to, it, it's, you have to just accumulate a lot of those and there's no silver bullet. There's no, like, if I just do this, then we're going to be huge. It's like so many micro decisions along the way. And you just got to be patient and persistent and humble. You got to talk to a lot of people. And there are things that work in mediums that like you can learn from, you know, the people, the people running the infomercial at the, in the middle of the night for some obscure rotisserie product, right, for years or whatever it is. I don't know. But, like, there is a method to that madness. Like, why are they at that time? You know, why, how long have they been doing it, you know, and different things. I'm not saying like that. But, like, don't overlook any product or any space yeah. or anything. There's something to be learned from all those. And, like, that's something that's always been, you know, something that I've been pretty good at and, per, and persistent at of, like, trying to stay active in that and not be a know-it-all. Uh, on that right. front and then people right. gave me time and advice and i try to do the same so you know i'm happy to do these types of discussions and talk to entrepreneurs as well but like that's the most important thing is just be persistent be impatient mm. on these and if you're building something good like rome wasn't built in a day for another metaphor right it's it, it yeah. takes time to build something good well from uh, from an entrepreneurial journey to hiring employees so you're hiring employees now give us a sense of uh, first of all uh, what do you look for what what uh, when you're hiring people into your organization what makes a successful hire at a, at a dtc shop like yourself yeah you have to be you have to be comfortable without structure is the most important thing i think and that's something that i mm. i'm very very transparent um with every candidate that i interview and at this point in time i don't interview every candidate anymore um but I do at a certain level or a certain function and above because I want to make sure that they have the, the DNA to succeed here. And what that means is like, you got to be a person that rolls up your sleeves and is willing to like go find or go get what you need or create your own processes. And I think that works that, that, that cuts that that's true for any startup 
or DTC or not DTC. It's like these a company like ours is young in the grand scheme of things, and most of the people that we've hired have our net new jobs. We we haven't lost a lot of people over the years. Like a, it's we have a phenomenal retention rate on that uh, on that on that note, but. Most jobs are net new, so you're not inheriting someone's email and their seat and their <laughs> contacts. You have to be ready to like talk to everyone internally. What do you do? What do you do? What's mm-hmm. my place? And I can't hold every, anyone everyone's hand. It's just impossible, right? I have a lot of tribal knowledge, but like I don't, I can't. People, it's have to be ready to swim quickly. Pick a direction. I don't care. Pick a direction and swim as fast as you can and find out what's there. But like, don't you can't be the kind of person that waits or tell me what to do or like how do I get on the track? You have to be like the ready to run, run quickly. And that's a personality thing. That's not something that's hard to teach that. That's something that people are either like very eager go-getters or they're more passive on that front. And I want people to know that when they come in here, that's like, that's the process around your job. You have to make that your job is to make the process and you have to understand that. Yeah, yeah, it's a very different path than going to work at uh, Procter and Gamble, right? Yeah, you, you know, very, very different. Very yeah. different, very different path, very different culture. Yes, um, you know, very similar. So, speaking of which, the mic is yours. We got a great audience. Are you looking for any roles that you'd like to uh, promote on the podcast uh, that uh, jump out <laughs> for mean, you? We are um, honestly, we are, we are just opened up like the primo role for like your space on it, which is like our first ever CMO we're hiring for. So, um, Oh, that's big news. Big news. That's been open for, been open for uh, since the end of last week or so. So it's just uh brand new in there and we're, we're seeing a lot of talented applicants, but that's going to be a that's big nice. one, uh, a very strategic you know partner to myself at the next level. Like, like I said, this business is increasingly complex. We've never had a CMO. Uh, so, the person is not going to sit in another person's chair and like, let me see what the old CMO is doing and how yeah. I can make it better. There's yeah. no, that's not going to be here, right? You're, you're the new CMO. So, yeah. and it's a, the CMO is a certain part of my brain that it's been for years that I have to, and you know, yeah. pass on to somebody else. At that's this the part, that's the part they're going to have to extract from, right? Cause you've, right. you've had so many roles and exactly and, uh, on the one hand, I'm sure you're just loving the idea of, of relinquishing, that and building that expertise but uh that'll be that'll be interesting it'll be an interesting role for anybody i can imagine um, yeah well it's a it's it's a big one for us you know and we're we're yeah. definitely growing up in that sense and we've yeah. hired in the last six months we've hired a coo a coo and a cfo as well and you know our our chief people officer has been here for a while as well growing the team and taking care of our team on that front so um to have this complementary skill set with, with this level of experience has been hugely beneficial to us yeah, and will be for the foreseeable future to get us to the next level. Like these people that we've brought in and the CMO we will bring in have incredible amounts of knowledge and experience that can help the team and, and me. It's Rich. It's been such a great conversation on behalf of Veronica and myself. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Give us a peek under the covers, so to speak. The <laughs> story. <laughs> uh, you like what I did there? There you go. But, yeah, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And, and once again, thanks, thanks for sharing and uh, expressing all the uh, interesting things that are happening in the business. Wish you much, much, much continued success and, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Conversations with Commerce Next. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast platform, where we will be sharing career advice and marketing strategies from e-commerce and digital marketing leaders at retailers and direct-to-consumer brands each and every episode. Commerce Next is a community, 
events series, and conference for marketers at retail and direct-to-consumer brands. Through our online forums, interviews, webinars, summits, and other in-person events, we harness the collective wisdom of our community to help marketers grow their businesses and advance their careers. Join Commerce Next events to meet other industry leaders and learn the latest e-commerce and marketing strategies. You can find upcoming events at commercenext.com. Have a fantastic week, everyone.